Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast, where we introduce you to a world of small to medium business acquisitions and mergers. We interview business owners, industry leaders, authors, mentors, and other influencers with the sole intent to share with you what it looks like to buy or sell a business. Let's get rolling. And now a moment for our sponsors. I want to highly recommend you get Acquisition Aficionado Magazine. Every month, Acquisition Aficionado Magazine brings you tactics for business buying and selling you won't find anywhere else. Learn firsthand from industry leaders who share their success stories, featuring in-depth interviews and stories from leading figures in the business acquisition industry. This multi-platform mobile magazine speaks to acquisition entrepreneurs wherever they are in the journey. And I want you to visit acquisitionaficionado.com today. Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast. Today I'm here with Gregory Elfrink. I got it right, Elfrink, head of marketing for Empire Flippers. Thank you for being on the show today. Yeah, happy to be here. I've actually seen some of your stuff on uh, LinkedIn, so this is cool to actually be on the show. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. I always like to start around the origin. How did you kind of, I know we're going to talk a lot about Empire Flippers today, but let's talk about you and the start. Like, it looks like you owned a marketing agency before you got into, into this. Let's talk about how you came about being the head of marketing for Empire Flippers and we'll go from there. Yeah. The marketing agency I own, it, it like, it never was successful. So my background, my origin story was I come from a very similar industry to what I do now, which was I was an oil filled roughneck in the Arctic Circle of Alaska drilling for petroleum. So that's what I used to do. I absolutely hated it and I always wanted out. So I became obsessed with internet marketing. I was originally going to buy like a little coffee trailer. Those like coffee houses that are on wheels, more or less, yeah. really big in the Northwest. So that was the cheapest business I could see about buying. I was going to buy one of those. My, I was like 19 at the time. I'd saved up all this money to do it. And my dad was like, don't do that. Don't quit the oil field. You don't even drink coffee. Stop. <laughs> he brought me to this like hotel meeting with one of those like scammy seminar op, biz op opportunity things, which he didn't believe in at all. He just literally knew that I would believe in it and it would prevent me from buying this coffee shop. So that's why he did it. But that like serendipitously led me into learning internet marketing because like I was so bad at promoting this crappy biz op that I was like, well... What I need to learn like a skill, the internet is a thing. Let's try the internet. So I started learning content marketing, SEO, and I did have a somewhat successful freelance writing thing. So I tried all these different businesses, including an agency. But when you're working 18, 20, like not 20, but like 12 to 18 hours a day on an oil rig, it's really hard to get anything up and going. So what I ended up doing after buying all these courses, learning all this stuff about internet marketing was I would, after my 12 hour shift, I would go up to the TV room in the, so I was six miles off the North coast of Alaska. So even further than the North coast of Alaska. And I would go to this one section of the TV room that got pretty solid Wi-Fi, And I knew like, well, I know enough about SEO and marketing now to know that all marketers, especially SEOs, absolutely hate writing content. And I'm a fast writer. I write novels for fun. So novels and poetry, I'm a big literature nerd and marketing nerd at the same time. So I was like, when if I just like undercut everyone and make money that way. I built up a portfolio as a writer. So that's what I did. I charged, I think it was one cent per word. It might have even been like half a cent per word. And I just went to all the Facebook SEO groups and did it and just started writing. Eventually I was writing for all the big names, a lot of the big names in the SEO world as them, but I was ghostwriting. I was still charging the same price because I didn't know anything about business. One of my clients who I had written probably like 50 articles on plumbing in Ohio for his like <laughs> the local SEO agency. He found out I was still a roughneck as I was doing all this stuff. I've been working with this guy for like two months, which if you've ever hired a writer for low value content, that's a long time to have the same writer. Cause usually we're like cats. They just like, ah, oh, yeah, this sucks. I'm never doing this again, but I just kept doing it. Mm -hmm. And he was like, man, if I was you, I'd be so burned out. And I remember telling him like, man, I've been burned out for years. Doesn't mean that you got to stop working because of that. You still got bills to pay. So that's like how I built this giant portfolio of writing. And I saw this and open up for what more or less was like the blogger for Empire Flippers. This was over six years ago. Right. And I like, here's a job I'm never going to get because I never went to college. I went to college for like three months. And so I usually get filtered out on the like little HR machines, but EF was a little bit different. They had a video entry instead of like a resume. So I did a video 
And I ended up getting the job. The way Justin, our oh, one of our co-founders, he framed it, I almost thought like I didn't get the job because of the way he worded it. But then he's like, just kidding, you're hired. Like, oh my God, what? <laughs> uh, I remember very vividly almost not taking the job because I was afraid like this will prove to me I suck at marketing if I take this job. One of those kind of things like, but my best friend convinced me I had to do it. And I remember my oil field boss, which at the time was the first and one of the only bosses I ever had an oil field that I actually liked because so you might imagine oil field people can be a bit rough. <laughs> right. So I told him and he was like, oh, I'm so excited for you. So why, where are you going? So you had to leave Alaska. I told him I was going to Vietnam. He's like, Greg, is this real? Like, well, I'm going to find out. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see. I'll let you know. <laughs> it's either real or they're going to be selling my body parts on the black market. Right. So, hey. Either way, we're making money. <laughs> so the reason why for your audience, why I went to Vietnam is because our whole company is remote. So we have no office. And at the time, the founders were in Southeast Asia. So they brought me out there and we, our company, we can live anywhere we want. And I'm still in Asia. So it worked out great. <laughs> I ended up liking Southeast Asia. That's interesting. I'm actually interested in the content sites and stuff like that too. Let's talk a little bit about what Empire Flipper does. Empire Flippers, let's always forget this plural there. Let's talk about like <laughs> what market you guys serve. Like what's your niche inside of this? Sure. So we initially served, so I've been with the company for six years. I was employee number four, eventually became head of marketing. And over that time, the type of clients we serve has changed. Like we, there's our, their core is still there. Our core is digital nomads, lifestyle businesses, really content e-commerce. And I would say we still serve those people really, really well. Over the years, we've grown considerably. So now a lot of times, for example, on a buy side, we're dealing with family offices at times, private equity, obviously all the aggregators, that entire gold rush was partially fueled by us. Like a lot of the aggregators got their start through us. I would wager a big percentage of them, all, almost all of them, their first businesses started from us, at least back in 2018, 2019, when that started really hitting momentum. Mm -hmm. uh, so now we're moving up into a bigger and bigger uh, levels, but we still serve the entrepreneur, the bootstrap entrepreneur at the end of the day. Typically that will be content sites or e-commerce like Amazon FBA or Shopify, stuff like that. We are moving more into the SaaS space and we also serve like probably out of any of the brokers, the weirdest business models. So a business model that almost no one ever talks about, including us, but we've sold millions of it is uh, KDP businesses. So Kindle publishing businesses and like we barely talk about it, but we've sold a lot of I've seen some of those on there, actually. I noticed that because I have a probably a, a handful, probably four or five of unfinished like books I was going to publish at some point or another and wrote most of and then thought, yeah, I'm not finishing this thing. But I don't, I don't, I don't know why I didn't finish <laughs> the, it. The writer's dilemma. Yeah, I yeah. understand. <laughs> it's not good enough, right? Uh, even like I tried to go back and I did some of those short guides, right? I used to do real estate a lot. I had a 30-page guide, short guide on like how to do your first deal. Right? Like what do you need in place? I used to own the, the local RIA and I was always active in it before I owned it and still active in it a little bit, helping out here and there. But RIA is a real estate investment association. But you'd go into a meeting and 300, 200, 300 is high, 200 people in the biggest meeting would be there. And most meetings, 40 or 50 people show up. And you'd ask how many people got a deal done and only a couple, like out of its peak, when it was at its peak, 200 people that were members at its peak, uh, you could probably say a dozen people had ever done a deal. And I'm seeing that a little bit in this space. You hold a meeting and there's 60 people in there that say they're acquisition entrepreneurs. They've taken courses and they're studying this. Cool. How many of you guys acquired anything? And all the hands go down, right? <laughs> so you've got the KDP business, you got, which is something guys don't talk about too much, but I've seen some of them on the website. You've got content sites. I imagine there's some repeat business. Like I know I've been coming through your content for a while there because I'm, I'm looking for something goes along with this B2B content, blog style, maybe even review sites, that type of stuff that review stuff in the B2B space, review HubSpot versus another source or CRM or that type of, those type of content that's revenue generating already. So that's the kind of stuff I've been looking through on there, but I see constantly there's just, it's active. It's an active uh, database of just cool things that are on there. What's the yeah. craziest, what's the craziest thing you guys have ever put through the site? The, so I, I, I can't reveal the, the true niches of the businesses that sell with us for obvious reasons that we don't want like our sellers get copy or whatever, but right. I can reveal this one, which we didn't sell, but 
it goes <laughs> like it doesn't even exist anymore that's why i can talk about it it is probably the weirdest business i've ever seen over my like six years or no not not even six years over my 10 years of being in the internet marketing world because right. i was doing all my other stuff before ef and that was a uk company that they called themselves the uber of toasties and it was a productized service where they send you a grilled cheese sandwich to your mailbox and you got to have like different like premium or light plans with extra cheese, lower cheese, all this stuff. And they would just deliver this thing to you every day with this grilled cheese sandwich. And like it, it was making and it made money. It was making like 2K a month. But the business was so weird that we we're like, hey, man, <coughs> we don't think that we can sell this because it's such a complicated like just the logistics of this is pretty wild. <laughs> <laughs> like, and this was like before, like the gig economy was, I guess, in full tilt. But like things like Fresh Deliver and all that stuff wasn't even a thing. Like Uber Eats wasn't even a thing back then. And it's just like, man, we can't sell this. He's like, okay. I think he ended up like spinning it down. But that just goes to show you the ability to make a ton of money or like relatively good amount of money from very niche stuff on the internet is well and alive. Like, That's who would have thought? <laughs> It's almost one of those things like, it's not like something his buddy bet, bet him he couldn't do, right? It sounds yeah. like something I, I would have spun up when somebody's like, I bet you can't make a business doing X, Y, and Z, right? We were talking about, uh, there, there, uh, we were oh, talking about a five for a second. I can tell you that uh, one of my business partners and I got permanently banned from Shopify and uh, not for anything we did. We were still setting up the site. We were buying stuff, but what we named our company, they were so offended by what we named our company, <laughs> they wouldn't let us on board. And it was just SIB, right? But that's what we call SIB productions or products, but basically is what we call anything that takes logistics. It's shit in a box, right? Anytime I have to take something <laughs> and put, in a, put it in a box and sell it, we call it an SIB business because it has the logistics. You have to store it. You got inventory. You got it. So we, when he was on the phone trying to set up the account because he had to call him because something went wrong, they said, well, what does SIB products stand for? What do you guys sell? I said, well, it's trinkets and knickknacks and stuff. But we had a product line we were looking at. But uh, well, why why do you call it SIB? And he's like, it's shit in a box. And they basically told him, you can't be part of this. We don't ever want you here. And I, we thought it would offend him because maybe because a lot of the stuff on there is, is garbage, right? It wasn't because it was garbage. It's just us being silly, going like, okay, we have to store yeah. stuff. We have to store shit. We have to inventory it. Got to ship it. So it's just an SIB type of business. But that's a category that we call. Anyway, so they, that's they told, hilarious. They told us never but come back. So, are you still banned from Shopify? He is. I don't even know why I'm associated with it, probably. But, uh, and it's funny thing part is, of this SIB thing, like, don't worry. <laughs> funny thing is, if we decide to go down that path again, it might be a little harder to ban him because he's, he's taken the bar in February. That's hilarious. One of the other more hilarious stories in the industry, this was also was a business we didn't sell and we just couldn't because the business was like, I think three or no, I think it was like four or five months old. And the guy behind it, like he, he was very anxious. He reached out to me. I forget where, maybe over Facebook or LinkedIn. And he just wanted to have a quick chat and I'm like, sure. Happy to help you out. And he told me the situation. So he started this supplements business and he had an influencer campaign that went crazy viral, way more viral than he was expecting. And this guy had no idea what he was doing. Like he barely knew how to his Wix website worked. Like I didn't even know Wix could be an e-commerce platform. He's like, I don't think it's meant to be. <laughs> like, how are you shipping this? Like, it's very difficult. And so he ended up like building this business that was like close to a ten million dollar company oh, in wow. terms of valuation. If you just looked at the profit he was making and it kept going, right? Mm -hmm. And I told him, like, well, look, man, you only have like four months of data. There's very few entrepreneurs are going to buy something like this, even private equity. We're like, dude, he's like kind of out of, out of the blue. And he was so afraid because he's like, I don't know what I'm doing and I don't know how to continue this because nothing else I've done has worked except for this viral campaign. And I didn't even mean for it to go like this viral. <laughs> I was like, yeah, so you, you got a good problem, but you better figure it out quick. Otherwise, this is going to die. <laughs> it's interesting is I had the exact opposite. I told you before that we kicked on the mic that uh, I created an online dating service when I was many years ago, found out we were getting featured along with somebody else in a, in a Wall Street Journal article, right? And I'm thinking I'm going to get all this traffic and everything. We were on a, a hosted platform where we had a dedicated host and stuff. And I moved it over. I was a, I'm a systems engineer by previous trades. So I moved it over to something I had more control over, put load balancers in and knew how to scale this thing so we wouldn't get flooded by the traffic. And I bet we got 
less than 5,000 views from that damn article. But it was just the exact oh, yeah. opposite. Like, I'm going to be ready in case this floods us. We're going to get this flood from the Wall Street Journal feature. They mentioned our name and URL two or three times in this article. We were keeping people honest in their profiles, which nobody wanted. Bad idea. Didn't know. No product market, market fit. reason we were featuring the Wall Street Journal is we had partnered with a company that were doing background and checks. So we would actually make sure you didn't, we're not a violent offender stuff. They got featured and we got featured inside of their article about being a dating service, like doing background checks. Right. And I just thought I was just going to get this cool like wave. So exact right. opposite of what that guy had. I think if I was in his shoes, I just start calling other people that have vitamin companies and license my product as fast as I could. Oh yeah. 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 I think I actually gave him that advice. This is like two years ago. Hopefully he's doing well. <laughs> like I haven't heard from him since that New York times thing. I think that's like the greatest ruse in marketing sometimes, especially with like PR agencies, like public mm -hmm. relations, they sell that stuff all the time for like huge packages. And then like the client expects this huge flood, but no one's going to that specific article. Like New York Times is a huge website, right? Like maybe if you're a feature on the homepage, but even then it's just a trickle. We had a, a hilarious problem where, so I did this thing on Reddit where I, we did an AMA and I got us to the homepage of Reddit. We got into the top 20, we were number 11. So we almost broke into the top 10 of the homepage of Reddit. But we got beat out by an owl with strange legs, which is the internet. You can't you can't beat an owl with strange legs. You should have had a kitten in, man. A kitten beats owl every day. But so like that traffic was huge there. Like on our Google Analytics, like you just mm -hmm. see the trend line, and then like boom. And so like you, we had to erase all the Reddit referral traffic just to see make our analytics like useful again. <laughs> but that traffic was super unsticky they went away quite quick it was still a fun experience to do it's funny is i won't say who or why just because of the we're on a show that's going to go out there and i don't have permission from the guy one of the shared i used to own a website for like sharing confessions and stuff we were talking about that beforehand one of those went viral and it got so much traffic my internet back then this is i'm dating myself this is prior to 2007 back then if you're like, you had a hosting service, you had a dedicated server, they only allotted you so much traffic, right? You get, then you would get overage charges, usage charges. So I get my, it was GoDaddy. I was using GoDaddy for my hosting at the time. I got this GoDaddy bill for like, I want to say it was 19,000 one month. And there was an <laughs> overflow. And before I could get like half, it was like the last few days of one month. And then when I called them to complain about it, like I'm a weekend of the next month and you're already at $26,000 worth of overage charges the next month. <laughs> Luckily for me, I was a domainer, which means I owned a, thousands of domains. I was paying GoDaddy on average thirty to forty thousand dollars a year. I had a private, like I could call somebody at their house for my assistance. At this point, I had a we call it a concierge or something. So I had so much business with them. I called this guy, told him what was going on, and he says he told me you're already at this for this month. We're like a week into this next month when I seen this thing, <laughs> and he so we got it shut off and turned around and negotiated that way down it's like when you want the business it's hard to get it up there and when you don't it's like and it wasn't yeah. generating any income whatsoever it was just this random <laughs> um photo and uh, he put a big, big photo on there so it was the photo being downloaded so much it ran me over it says high resolution. i didn't put a cap on it in fact i didn't know anything about how five photo sizes built this thing so he put this really high resolution photo of like something then he had posted it and shared it and anyway Somebody was downloading this multi-meg file. Oh. Anyway, let's jump back into the like kind of Empire Flippers. You guys have been around since how long? When did it form? So you've been there for six years, you said. Yeah, so we actually go back to 2011. So we were close to what being one of the OGs of the entire space, to be honest. I, I think at the time there was Flippa, which they had just rebranded from the Wicked form, I believe. That was yeah. that might be wrong. But Flippa was like the only one in town. FE was just getting its start. And then I think they were like a year or so, year or two before us. And then we came about in 2011. But we didn't start off as a brokerage back then. We only switched to a full brokerage probably around 2013. Okay. I used to flip websites uh, many, many, many years ago. And back then, we didn't have any Empire Flippers or Flippas or Micro Acquires or any of those guys out there, right? So we were on these Warrior Forums. So we were hanging out in forums, right? And people would post <laughs> their... I think one of them was called the Warrior Forum. That's why it sticks in my head that way. But uh, I got burned Yeah, no, really, Warrior Forum is huge. Yeah. yeah. I got burned really bad on one. I bought one. I was like, burned. It was not bad. In, in the grand scheme of today's numbers, not so much. But back then, it was a lot of money for me. It was like thirty six grand. I paid thirty six or thirty seven thousand for a website that was had a lot of traffic, was generating money, and within days of buying it, 
it just died off. They had actually been buying all their traffic and spoofing everything. It was photo edit, Photoshop edited, PayPal statements and everything. And, oh, man. Uh, at that point, I decided, okay, it's just too easy for them to fake all this. And I stepped out of it, went to do other stuff. And now I'm kind of circling back around because now it's common for people to give you access. Like the due diligence is better now than it was. I'm sure it's still possible to, to fake some of this, but it's just, there's a lot more yeah. effort for companies, especially companies like yours and some of the other ones out there. You even have tools that make sure that we're getting something that seems a little bit more legit. Yeah. For your audience, my general rule of thumb is most of the scams, like the nefarious stuff exists in the sub $50,000 level. Cause like mm -hmm. to your point, that's the easiest area to really spoof something or right. Photoshop or whatever and trick someone. And often there's unsavvy buyers, which not saying that you were back then, but like a lot of buyers are in that space who I'm are sure unsavvy. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> once you get above a hundred thousand dollars, especially above 200,000, it's usually not the case. Usually if there is something wrong, it's typically not a nefarious thing. It's just an accident, which can be just as bad as a nefarious thing, depending on the mistake. So you still got to be careful and due diligence, but yeah. I know of some of it, right? They actually own their own link network, whatever that's called, a private link network. Mm, so TVS, a lot of the yeah. traffic, yeah, they own their own traffic. So a lot of the traffic was coming from them and then they were buying traffic without telling me they were buying traffic, right? So I bought it uh, at like, a, it was only a 10 month or 10 or 11 month multiple. It was, I remember it was just under a year multiple, meaning 12 months worth of the revenue. The honest revenue was like zero. Cause I mean, within days, <laughs> The traffic just died off. I thought I broke the analytics. I kept looking through the analytics, trying to figure out, like going through the website and checking things and make sure the tags are right. I'd have buzz. Traffic died so much. I'd, have, I'd call four or five friends and go, hey, visit the website. I want to see if it shows up on the analytics. Right. And then it would show up and I'm like, okay, the analytics is working. Right. Something. Then I got ghosted. Like they wouldn't respond to emails. I had the guy's phone number. He changed his phone number on me and everything. And, uh, oh man, I was like, I wish he'd gave me his address. I might've showed up. <laughs> so. Right now we're in a space. I want to talk a little bit about kind of, we know where you've been. You kind of, you kind of, one of the first OGs of this space, where do you guys see yourself going? Where does, where's Empire Flippers headed? Yeah. So what we want to do, we're, we're, our mission is to create like a thousand millionaires. Right now we're, I think the number is 60. If you go to empireflippers.com slash scoreboard, it'll tell you because we okay. try to be as transparent with all of our numbers as possible. So it shows how many millionaires we made upon the actual exit of the business. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's our big, hairy, audacious goal, a thousand millionaires. But in general, what we want is to become the entrepreneur's best friend, both on the buy and the seller side, right? Because selling a business, like it's like taking another part-time job, sometimes a full-time job, depending on the complexity of the business. And buying a business is also quite a stressful process, even if you are someone who does it all the time. So we want to be there to help entrepreneurs throughout the entire um, the entire cycle of their career. So I, like my marketing team, as you probably know, we are big in content. Like that's our main marketing is content marketing. I tell my team all the time, we want to be there for the entire entrepreneurial journey. So when they're first starting out that aspirational phase, all the way up to the exit, which will make money and the acquisition, which we make money, but then also help them after that too. So what do you do after an exit? Like, well, let's help you make a plan. Like, what do you want to do? What's your goals? All that kind of stuff. Or when it comes to buying, like what's the best kind of structure for you to buy? Like, should you do a buy and hold? Are you a flipper? All that kind of stuff. So we want to help the entrepreneur at every point as best as we can. We want to be considered like their best friend, like I said, a resource. It's interesting. Do you do anything that's outside of the website, like space? Like I'm interested in podcasts. Like I would buy other B2B content podcasts. Hopefully, like if you ever noticed my show, I didn't introduce myself at the beginning. I say, I'm Ronald Skelton, the host of. I don't because at some point I probably will have other people co-hosting and doing some of this content. And I don't want it tied to my name, right? Mm -hmm. My ugly mug don't need to be on every show as long as good content's <laughs> going out to the listeners. But I'd be interested in shows that maybe they've done two or 300, 400 episodes and they're just not doing them anymore, but the content's good. I would be interested in stuff like that. Do you guys have that type of stuff on there? I haven't noticed yet. So we haven't ever sold a podcast as far as I know. We have sold YouTube channels though. Yeah. Typically the YouTube channel will be faceless. So it's not tied to any one face. The issue with a lot of these businesses is kind of what you just hinted at is 
the host who is often the owner is the face of the business. And it's the six pack abs issue. Like if I'm a fitness trainer who has six pack abs and I want to sell my business. And if I'm the face of the business, if I'm selling to an 80 year old guy with a beer belly, like, well, this isn't going to work out very well. Right. <laughs> like, right. So, so is that whole personality thing? You, it can be done though. Like what, so what you're suggesting, like if you wanted to sell this podcast down the road, let's say what you would do is you want to have team, your employees hosting all the podcasts of them being the face. So for mm -hmm. example, at empire flippers, when I first came on board, the co-founders, they hosted the Empire Flipper show. And it was like a very big thing. It was all tied to them. And Justin told me like, hey, we have a problem. We're the Justin and Joe show, but we want to be the Empire Flipper show. And so what eventually happened is I would start going on to all the podcasts and start doing all the shows, speeches, all that kind of stuff. And now, like sometimes people accidentally think I own EF, which is obviously not true, but it leads to some funny situations. But that's how you would go about it. Now, like, the marketing apparatus is no longer tied to Justin and Joe. Like they could sell EF. And that's a similar way I would recommend with podcasts and YouTube channels. Yeah. That goes for a lot of content out there and stuff. If your name and reputation, it goes for a lot of small businesses. If you're getting outside of the brick and mortar, I mean, if you go back to brick and mortar, I had a guy, I own a, I still own a few brick and mortar things. I own a little pest control in Oklahoma. And one of the guys that's in a local town was trying to sell me his. And I think he's a one person guy with a part-time tech. And he has a personal relationship with all 200 of his customers. And I was like, you understand that there's a good chance of those customers will not hang out with me, with my yeah. techs. Cause I, I don't go out to do any of that stuff. I live 1800 miles away now. <laughs> they may not have that same bond and I'll lose them. So I'll pay you so much per client that stays on after six months. And he just wouldn't have that. Right. He wanted, yeah, oh, you'll pay for every, yeah. you know, so much per client. Like you built something <laughs> that's going to be hard to transfer. Right. And then yeah. later on, I found, I'm glad I didn't because later on, I found out through some people that know him because it's a small community. Not only does he does their pest control, he actually does their, uh, like a lot of handyman stuff too. Like he'll pick up limbs in the yard and all that stuff, which my guys probably could do, but I would have needed to know ahead of time that yeah, like, yeah. he'll pick up dry cleaning and drop it off at the, at the cabin. <laughs> it's an area that's a lake resort area. So like they'll pick up something. If he's in town, he'll pick up something though. And then if he goes out to service it, the lake, he'll run errands for him. And I was like, that's just not the business my guys are in. So <laughs> no, that's very, uh, that reminds me of a classic marketing agency problem. When people talk about selling agencies, like mm -hmm. one of the biggest issues about selling an agency is like all the work they do is always so customized that there's no like assembly line, no procedure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like that's a good local example of that. Right. <laughs> I've got a guy right now who reached out to me. He's got a very good creative agency in India and he's got it systemized. He's not doing all the work. He's wanting to sell or wanting to merge with somebody or, and so he can focus on another project and they've got, and they're doing a million and a half, $2 million in revenue. And they've got some really top name companies as clients. Again, it's really hard to sell if you're wanting to not be around because those top, a lot of those top name clients are coming to him because of his creativity, right? <laughs> you build a name for your especially in like the creative space. I mean, a little different like SEO and some other stuff and other places, but when you're like artist style, creativity, design, package design, all that type of stuff in the marketing space. A lot of it ties to you and your team. I'm a big fan of doing creative marketing, like what you're suggesting there, but I'm not a big fan of selling it for that exact reason. Like I would rather sell like a million water bottles by doing something super creative and hilarious than the creative hilarious service. Cause that's a very hard service to transfer. <laughs> yeah before I got into the, the real estate space, I actually owned a marketing firm myself. It was a coaching business, but I was one of uh, Jay Conrad and Levinston's, uh, the gorilla marketing. I was a coach underneath his system. So I oh, would, I'm familiar with gorilla marketing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I was a coach under Jay Conrad and Levinston's system and I would go somewhere and be in front of a room, teach them you know, a seminar and then pull sell and upsell where we do a five or six days where we're working on with the one-on-one. -on -one. And then from that, we'd have, I'd pick up some clients where I basically work myself out of a job. Like I would help them grow their business to the point where they need somebody full-time doing it. And then I would help them find that person and move on. And one of my clients bought me, bought my company, it brought me in house. So that's how I got out of that space. But yeah. Ah, cool. That's interesting. Yeah. I know a little bit of that. I think I, must have took some online thing. I was eight from the ages 18 to about 23 ish. Mm -hmm. I was buying every course I could find. <laughs> Anything about marketing. Dan Kennedy, copywriting, Russell Brunson. I've everything. done that. Yeah, I've done all those. I've got, this, I got Russell, Russell's stuff right here in front of me. Dot cop sinkers right here. Yeah, uh, yeah. 
think that's the dot com secrets and uh, expert secrets probably more valuable to me than my MBA and marketing is. Yeah, it's really just, good he, stuff. Yeah. He put the content together in a good learnable way that's usable. The very expensive six high five figures, low six figure master's degree program. If you concluded living expenses, I would still venture to say that I learned more out of those two books than I did in years of college. Yeah. This is why I never went to college because I just assumed that I couldn't ever be taught what I needed to know. I always wanted to get into entrepreneurship and marketing. So I was like, well, marketing changes so much and entrepreneurship, like that's kind of the thing. Like you don't need to go to college to be an entrepreneur. You just be an entrepreneur. <laughs> I thought I was going to be a college professor. So I went and got a bunch of college degrees. And then I started teaching adjunct as an adjunct professor and realized I don't like snotty nose kids who mommy and daddy are paying their way through school. <laughs> it's not like it at all. And then I had a, when the dean came to me and said, hey, this kid's paid in full. We have to pass him. I was like, no, we don't. It's like, you don't oh, pass wow. him. You don't. I was an adjunct professor and school's not even around anymore. So I'll say at ITT, I was doing adjunct part-time at ITT in another school that was better. I won't say their name, but the other school was better than this, but I was teaching team building and some other classes at the ITT. And when the Dean came to me and said, if you don't pass this guy, you can't come back next quarter. I was like, well, it's been nice knowing you. Right. <laughs> I remember in ninth grade, so I was never a very good student. I barely passed high school. And I remember getting kicked out of track in my junior year by vice principal. He's like, do you know how low your GPA is? It's like, how low? He's like 0 0.99. You almost have to try to get it this low. I was like, no, you don't, man. I haven't tried in years. <laughs> <laughs> like, I haven't done anything. But there, there was this teacher I had in ninth grade who is still like sticks with me today, even in my current career uh, as a marketer and business person. It was a Latin teacher and I was really terrible at Latin, but I was really interested in it because I like history. So mm -hmm. I was like staying after school every day for like an hour, hour and a half to try to get my grade up. I remember one day he came over to me, he's this really big guy, he always wore a suit, big beard. He put his arm around me like, Greg, I'm really impressed with how much you're trying here to learn Latin. And I'm like, oh, thanks, man. Do you think I'm going to pass? Like, no, you're going to get an F. You're absolutely terrible at this. But your work ethic is going to serve you well in life. And he became my favorite teacher after that. Like, he was nice, but fair. Like, hey, man, this is how the world works. You got to actually, like, perform. <laughs> so I Funny took all of his classes throughout the rest of high school because of that. <laughs> I, I think we let ourselves get a little bit off track there. Let's circle back around and talk about, you, you're talking about where you guys are going a little bit before we got off track. So what does the future look like? Are you guys going to branch into some other spaces or even better? What do you see this economy doing to the online space? Yeah, I have a few different thoughts on that. To answer the first part of your question, it's very simple. One of the things we're going after is SaaS businesses. It's always mm -hmm. been a part where we've been pretty weak in. So mm -hmm. we're doing a lot more marketing and repositioning to try to get a lot more SaaS founders with us. But the second part of your question is something that I think about all the time because we deal with like a lot of e-commerce, a lot of content sites, all that kind of stuff. And I think things are probably going to get worse over the next six to 10 months, maybe well, six to 18 months to be more fair. I think things are going to continue to be not great. And I think supply chain could get worse. There is some silver lining in supply chain where some of my friends have noted that the cost of a, a cargo connex or whatever is coming down pretty dramatically. That remains to be seen in the whole vulnerability of the geopolitics of today. I believe Shanghai, for example, is going into another lockdown at the time of this recording, which I think that's like 40% of their import, of their exports rather, come out of Shanghai. And that's causing all sorts of issues. What's fascinating to me is I do think that there's going to be almost this, it's going to be slow. It won't happen fast decoupling away from China to other manufacturing places. So I'm starting to see e-commerce owners go into places like Mexico, sometimes even back to the States where it makes sense, especially mm -hmm. when uh, shipping rates are so high in certain cases. So I think that is fascinating in of itself. I think capital is going to become at a premium again, and businesses mm -hmm. will have to start making sense again. I think a lot of people got drunk on the punch of 0% interest rates and just capital just flowing like water. I think those days are probably over. And in, in general, I think valuations will probably soften. I don't think it's going to be a nosedive. I think we do everything in a monthly multiple for your audience. So mm -hmm. I'm not saying this is a yearly multiple with what I'm about to say, but you know, on average, we're seeing like say 40 X multiples, monthly multiples on a valuation. I think that could fall down to as low as maybe 30 X. Mm -hmm. Now that's a big decrease. 
We're not seeing that yet, but it could happen with all the other stuff that's happening in the world right now. But even so, if that I wouldn't really consider that a nosedive because 30x would still be higher than 2019 levels. So I don't think we will go back to 2019 levels. I think we're going to fall back as the world kind of recovers from its hangover. But yeah, that, that's kind of what I see over the next six to 18 months, which is a huge opportunity for buyers. This last two years has been really no really good opportunities for buyers that has been tough in the buyer world. So yeah, I'm looking around, everybody's wanting crazy number for their stuff. And I'm looking at the same thing you're looking at, like, okay, is this going to soften? And I'm trying to figure out, are there like inside of the brick and mortar businesses, there are things that are re recession resistant, right? Like my pest control company is going to do what it does during a recession or not. Your wife, she's a roach calling across the kitchen countertop. She's going to call me, right? She doesn't care whether or <laughs> it's not. The other, it's the other way around in my household because in Vietnam, the roaches can fly and they're terrifying. <laughs> so, but, but, I was in Texas like, for a while. They're this, in Texas, they're that big and they can fly. Yeah, I can get there. Oh, so you, you, you know the, the, that, the, that nightmares really do exist. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever I see one, my wife is like, what are you doing? What's wrong with you? And she's just like pick it up, throw it out. Like, like oh my God. <laughs> I lived in Hawaii for three years on the uh, island of Oahu. And you would see the first indication you were going to have cockroaches around is you see geckos crawling around inside your house. <laughs> And they're considered good luck and you leave them alone, right? And I was like, you got lizards roaming around your living room. Like, yeah, leave them alone. It'll keep the cockroaches at bay. They hunt them and eat them. And I was like, cockroaches? And I'm looking around thinking, <laughs> yeah. and wait a second here. And I'm not afraid of bugs. I grew up a country boy, right? Running barefoot on 40 acres or 30 something acres. Our next door neighbor had 3,000 plus acres and he didn't care if we went out there. So I was either running on our, we had a 26 acre pecan grove and we had a few other little piece of land down the road. I was either running barefoot on ours or riding my dirt bike on all of it, <laughs> right? So I'm not, uh, I pulled, uh, I pulled live bugs out of my eyeballs before. So I'm not too afraid of bugs. Uh, they hit you uh, and then like get in there underneath your eyelid type of thing. But uh, yeah, I get that. So going back to, again, we're, we're playing this game off, off track there, which makes the funnest shows, man. That's quite all right. Uh, I was debating whether or not I should go into my bug story. I was leaving it in Alaska. The beautiful thing about Alaska, you see what's going to kill you versus like when you're <laughs> in the country and there's like a snake or like a brown nut or whatever. It's a grizzly uh, like, bear or Alaska, moose. you see the bear. Yeah. Like it's very apparent what's about to happen to you. Like it's no, no drama. <laughs> but yeah. go back to, let's get back to mergers and acquisitions. Uh, <laughs> the real the polar bear. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The real polar bear. What would you consider? And the whole reason we got off on this tangent is bugs and pest control because it's resistant, recession resistant. Are there segments of the e-commerce blogging content that would be recession resistant? Can you, is there's content that people are going to buy and use and advertisers are going to pay for no matter what the economy does? Oh, absolutely. So there's a whole niche called your money or your life. Why I always screw up their abbreviation. Why I'm a why whatever. No. It's your money or your life. And that's usually stuff related to health, wealth, and fit health, wealth, and love, like mm -hmm. romance, stuff like dating, for example, those are things people will almost always pay for to a lesser extent. And it kind of falls into the YM, but your money, your life niche is dogs and pets. Like mm -hmm. pet niches do really well, even in recessions. Like, like there are people I know that if they're too broke to buy food, they'll go into credit card debt to buy their dog food. They'll just always do that. And I'm one of them. I would do that in that situation. I would buy my dog food before I would buy myself food. But so those kind of niches work well. The issue with those niches often though, is they're highly competitive all the time because they're so lucrative. So that's one of the downsides. There are things in general though, like if you can find something that is like a, not a nice to have, but a must have for something, those niches often do well too, similar to the pest control thing, right? Like you got to get rid of the rodents that are infesting your house. Like, what are you going to do? Like, just live with them? I guess you could if you're weird, but most people are going to pay for the service. So there's things like washers, dryers, home appliances, stuff like that, which could be considered to be part of that. Less so than your money or your life. But yeah, so there are some recession-proof stuff. I think what we're doing here, this B2B space, what Empire Flippers is doing and what we're doing is the same just because... If, like right now, if, especially the brick or mortar side of the thing, there are so many baby boomers that need to retire in the next 10 to 20 years. It's insane. And they like in the United States, they employ over 50% of the workforce. They own so many mm -hmm. companies. It's not if they're going to change hands. They kind of have to. A lot of these guys yep. are in their 60s and 70s already, and they're either going to die in the chair 
or they're going to retire out or like the next generation they don't want to own that they want to be youtubers and content generators <laughs> right or doctors and lawyers they want to do something different like i don't my dad painted houses for a living. I worked, He had me painting houses from the time I was old enough to crawl a ladder. I ran it from the time I was 16 to 20. But when I sold sold it back to him and basically handed it over back to him when I joined the military, I've never picked up a paintbrush since then. Not intentionally, right? I, and I owned a real estate <laughs> investment company where we bought and sold houses all the time. My wife and I, we got married. We bought a house and we were going to paint it. She bought all this paint. And I was like, I'll show you how to do it, but I ain't painting the thing. <laughs> I'll hire somebody in to do it or I'm just not doing it. I painted so many, but that's just the nature of things, right? The next generation doesn't want these things. And it's the same online too. At some point, I'm 50 and I used to flip websites. At some point, it's, I think it's later on, it's coming, but at some point, the, age, the operators are going to age out too inside of this. It might be 10 or 20 years down the road. What I see the recession and this, what we call the silver tsunami helping Empire Flippers and Flippa and all those guys out there is a lot of these companies don't have the content, right? They don't have a great website. It's a much smarter move to buy a local company and then buy matching content and then merge them together so you have a full of content. Still think there's a play where that's going to push things forward a little bit on both sides. There, so I, I just recently talked to this guy. I don't know if you're familiar with this SEO strategy. It's called Rank and Rep. And mm -hmm. It's basically you build out a local website as if it's like your pest control company, but you don't own the pest control company. You rent it out to that company and they get the leads or whatever, right? So I have a friend, he's doing like 150K a month in profit with that, that business model. And now he's going and buying those brick and mortar businesses that he knows he can like increase them with lead gen, like with the internet, right? So there's a whole arbitrage there of buying local businesses and applying internet marketing, especially if you worked in a your money, your life niche. Like for example, you and I right now are in the money part of mm -hmm. or the wealth part of that trifecta, right? And we're in a very hard niche, like it's especially me, like I'm marketing to people who make money online who actually make money, who are the most jaded people because they see all the marketers trying to get their money. And so like very little marketing actually works with them. So this is a very hard target market for me to go over. That's why I often like do jokes. Like I'll pretend I'm a fake guru selling a course for 9.97 just to get a, like a laugh, right? Because it breaks people's frame. Mm -hmm. But if you took those kind of skill sets and you applied it to local marketing, you crush it. Cause like the, the local marketing, local marketers in most geos, so not all, obviously metropolitans like Phoenix or Vegas or whatever are going to be more competitive for obvious reasons. But if for the vast majority of the geos out there, they're not very sophisticated at marketing. So they don't know what they're doing. So there's a huge opportunity there with the silver rush. And to your point with other operators, Asia, we were already seeing some of that. So we had a guy, he just sold a business with us. I think it was a $1.6 million business. I want to say it was a service business. And that's the exact reason why he did it. He was like 55. He was like, Hey man, I'm tired. I'm like, take it. <laughs> I'm like, sure, right. we'll help you. Awesome. Awesome. You guys are, well, I, you've said something in your show notes that you gave to me about remote management. You guys are totally remote. I'm a big fan of that. Can we talk about how do you, you're all over the, you guys are all over the world. You're sitting in Vietnam, you said? Yep. I'm in Ho Chi Minh City. Yeah. Where are, and you have a team of people, I'm assuming that help you with your marketing. Where are they located? Yeah. So I have one person who's in South Africa, one person that right now is in Patagonia in Argentina, one person that is in Brazil, but he flies between Brazil and a place in the UK named Sunderland, I think it's called. Mm -hmm. So he's good from the UK, he goes back and forth from Brazil, UK and Portugal. And then I have two others that they're just constantly doing the digital nomad thing. So they're all over the place. It doesn't make sense to even say where their ex is <laughs> going to change. And then one, like one of my, my second command, he actually just moved from Seoul, Korea to Dubai. So he's in Dubai now, which I got to go to speak at an event there a few months ago, hang out with him and gave a, I gave him a bunch of crap because like, man, what are you doing, John? Like you never leave your apartment. Why are you living in Dubai? Come live in Vietnam. It's way cheaper. You can get a penthouse. <laughs> right. Yeah, they're tax-free though, aren't they? I mean, the Dubai is 100% tax, no income, no sales tax, no nothing. Well, technically, if you're doing like what I do, I don't pay any Vietnamese taxes, even though I am technically a resident because I'm married to a Vietnamese, but mm -hmm. uh, so you don't pay any taxes in these countries that you're doing the digital nomadism. So you do if you get like a citizenship or a special kind of visa that lets you stay longer. 
But in general, you're just paying American taxes. Dubai does have something special that he liked. But if you're not the owner of the business, the taxes are like way less. You just do way less things. <laughs> I think I'd like to visit Dubai. I don't know if I'd like to live it. I interviewed somebody as a mentor in the space. He owns a yacht and he was in Dubai at the time. And I'm like, you, I told him, your setting looks different. He's like, are you, are you on your yacht? He opens his windows like, no, it's down there. He's like a, a setting above the marina, <laughs> right? But he travels around. I would love to visit. I don't know. It's like a lot of those places. You're not sure if you'd ever want to live there. Right. Yeah. I, I think Dubai is super cool. So I used to live in Vegas for a little bit when I was trying to be a writer and that didn't work out well. <laughs> but I, when I was like, tw when I just turned 21, I was like, screw the oil field, moved down to Vegas. And yeah, that was a terrible idea. But <laughs> I, I thought Dubai was going to be very similar to Vegas, where it's kind of like shallow once you like get there. But Dubai actually has a lot more meat to it than I expected. I still wouldn't want to live there. I prefer Southeast Asia, but it is a really cool city. Awesome. Awesome. So, Let's talk a little bit about what do you guys got going on now? You think you have a, you were telling me before the show, you had a little bit of a special thing going on. If people get it done before December, let's talk about kind of what's available on your site right now. Sure. A lot of your audience probably already knows this, but news came out a few days ago, a few days ago at the end of October, that Shopify is shutting down its exchange. So that's the marketplace that they had where you can buy and sell Shopify stores. It's been around for a few years. They actually took down my blog post. I wrote for them to redirect to their exchange when they launched it like, ah, oh, no, all that traffic. But uh, so that's shutting down as of November 1st, it should be completely wound down. Mm -hmm. uh, so we are offering kind of a holiday special for anyone that's making 80% of their revenue from the Shopify platform. If you want to exit your business, as long as you submit your business with us before December 31st, so it's still before December 31st, you have time to do it. We will give you 25% off of our fees. That's uh, to me, a really hell of a deal. So it if is, yeah. a Shopify store owner wants to exit their business with a professional M&A advisor and get a little discount for the holidays. We're happy to help. That's cool. Actually, that, that's a big, that's a big help. We'll make sure that that content is down in the, the show notes of the show. So people know how to do that. And then if somebody wants to work with you or they want to connect with you, what would be the best way? Sure. So I'm usually pretty easy to get a hold of. It's just Greg at empireflippers.com. I know you'll post this on LinkedIn, but I use LinkedIn quite a lot nowadays. So you can add me on LinkedIn. You also add me on Facebook. It's just facebook.com slash Gregory, the writer. That's more of my personal thing, my personal Facebook. But if you want to add me there, that's fine. Apologies for the poetry I post. <laughs> it's pretty bad. But if you like poetry, you want to see my poetry, you can add me on Facebook as well. Uh, I don't think I've ever written any poetry. It's funny. We have a little bit of similar background. I've been training copywriting. I did Dan Kennedy's like golden circle or whatever he calls his inner shop uh, yes, for yeah, a yeah, while. Yeah. And I've got all his courses. I got one of the, you talking about all those courses and stuff. I got a bookshelf that was in my office for a while. It's stacked in boxes now at the tiny house. At one time I calculated that bookshelf worth over 140, $150,000 worth of courses. Right. So, right. When you're in the real I, estate I, space, I would just buy, I would go to a course and they would be selling courses at the course you're at. Right. And then right, you look right, at it and right. go, that's only two grand. I mean, you're cranking out money in a real estate business. You're you look at something like that and it's like it's only two grand or three grand and if it changes if it adds two hundred dollars per deal like to the deals i do if it makes one strategy change and i can make an extra hundred dollars two hundred dollars per deal it's going to 10x what i what i'm doing right because the volume is up so we were buying things i for a long time there it was a joke is we had courses laying on our shelves that our interns would come in and go hey can i look at this like it's on the shelf like yeah but the cellophane's still on it can i open it up <laughs> <laughs> It reminds me of a, a story. So my dad, he used to pay me money when I was a teenager. He tried mm -hmm. to pay me for my grades, but it never yeah. worked out. So he's like, hey, so I bought some business books I'm never going to read. Would you I'll give you like $10 to give me the cliff notes of this? Like give me the notes of what's going on in here. So I would read his books and he gave me Rich Dad, Poor Dad. That's how I got exposed to it. And mm -hmm. so I gave him the notes about the mindset, the real estate stuff, all this stuff. And he looked at me, he's like, wait, this book is about real estate? Like, yeah, what did... My dad's a real estate investor and realtor at this point, right? Yeah. Like he's built a multi-million dollar real estate business himself. I was like, yeah, what did you think it was about that? He's like, I thought it was a parenting book. <laughs> I thought you were going to give me like parenting tips. <laughs> he like bought it when my older brother was born because he thought like, I should learn how to be a good dad, rich dad, poor dad. That sounds like it would help. <laughs> like, no, dad, it's about real estate. It's about the business that you started. <laughs> well, it's been wonderful having you here. Let's wrap this one up. 
and we both had a good laugh. We had a, we were all over the place, but I think it was some good content in there. I think it was fun. I'm happy to come back on to do a more concise, like M&A thing. If your audience likes our antidotes, <laughs> we can actually talk more about the business aspect, but yeah, I enjoyed this as well, man. It was fun. It's fun. And I, and people need to see that too. People need to see it's not all numbers and zeros and ones. And it's not, this isn't code. This isn't binary. Um, uh, it's not all accounting, forensic accounting and debugging people's books. There are real people, real businesses, and it, you can have fun with this. So. Yeah. Hopefully for your audience, it, it, like, I know we didn't talk a, a ton about M&A stuff, but if you do have any questions at all, I'm happy to help. Uh, okay. And hopefully it works where like, you feel like we're friends out there. <laughs> so. Three takeaways and keep the takeaways on the M&A side. Let's leave our ADD on the shoulder. If, if, if somebody could remember <laughs> one, to, you know, if somebody could remember no more three things from the show today, what would you want them to remember? That's a good question. Three things. One, like, okay, so we didn't talk about this, but this is what I would say. So if you're on the seller side, the three things I would recommend is get a proper valuation. The biggest things that sellers mess up on is they undervalue or way overvalue themselves. Two, you might not like a broker's commission and that's okay if you want to go private, but you should always shop around with the brokers, even if you intend to go private, because the only incentive a buyer has of buying not from a broker is to get a good deal, which is usually a worse deal for you. So I would suggest that. And three, I would always try to get uh, competing offers for your business. For a buyer, you should still use a broker in my view, if you've never bought a business before, because it's very similar to hiring a marketing agency. You hire people, you don't know what you're doing. So you, your first deal, you should do that. If you're also on your first deal, I highly recommend taking whatever your capital is to buy a business and split it into thirds. So if you have, I don't know, $300,000 split into $100,000 chunks. And the reason why I suggest that, because if you're brand new, you don't want to buy something that destroys you out of the gate. Give yourself some margin of error. And the third thing, and this goes for both buyers and sellers, treat negotiations as a collaboration. Too many people come at it as a showdown. And like what you just said, everyone wants everyone to win if they're like acting in good faith. So approach everything as a collaboration, not a showdown. It will serve you well in negotiations. Love it. Love it. Let's wrap it up with that. Awesome. So, all right. Hang out for a second. I'm going to end the recording. That's the show, guys. Hey, it's your host, Ronald Skelton. I want to thank you personally for watching the show today and invite you to call our new hotline, 918-641-4150. That's 918-641-4150. Call us and tell us about our show. Ask questions, uh, suggest a guest, or even tell me about a business you have for sale, and we'll reach back out to you. Again, that number is 918-641-4150. Call our hotline and leave us some information. Thank you. I want to announce our new channel partners, the ITX Marketplace. Since 1998, ITX has created $5 billion in value by selling more than 225 IT businesses in 20 countries. ITX works exclusively with IT-enabled businesses generating between $5 million and $30 million who are ready to be sold and M&A decision makers who are ready to buy. For over 25 years, ITX has developed industry knowledge that helps determine whether a seller is a good fit for their buyers before making the match. ITX Mergers and Acquisition Marketplace we have partnered with has a proprietary database of 50,000 plus global buyers seeking IT service firms, managed service providers, Microsoft service providers, software as a service platforms, and channel partners with Microsoft, Oracle, ServiceNow, and, self, and, and the Salesforce space. If you have an IT-enabled business, you're ready to sell, I want you to visit the itexchangenet.com slash marketplace, how to exit. That link will be in the show notes. Visit them now.